Amen. Now we'll now we'll read from our inspired church history. Amen. Acts 27, beginning in verse 30. And as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship, when they had let down the boat into the sea, under color as though they would have cast anchors out of the foreship, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, Except these abide in the ship, ye cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat and let her fall off. And while the day was coming on, Paul besought them all to take meat, saying, This day is the fourteenth day that ye have tarried and continued fasting, having taken nothing. Wherefore, I pray you to take some meat, for this is for your health, for there shall not a hair fall from the head of any of you. And when he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God in presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then were they all of good cheer, and they also took some meat. And we were all in the ship, two hundred, three score, and sixteen souls. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and cast out the wheat into the sea. And when it was day, they knew not the land, but they discovered a certain creek with a shore, into which they were minded, if it were possible, to thrust in the ship. And when they had taken up the anchors, they committed themselves unto the sea, and loosed the rudder bands, and hoisted up the mainsail to the wind, and made toward shore. And falling into a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the forepart stuck fast, and remained unmovable, but the hinder part was broken with the violence of the waves. And the soldiers' counsel was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim out and escape. But the centurion, willing to save Paul, kept them from their purpose, and commanded that they which could swim should cast themselves first into the sea and get to land. And the rest, some on boards, and some on broken pieces of the ship, and so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your great gift of salvation through your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that we are able to gather together to worship together, to fellowship, to hear, to teach on and hear your word and be built up. Lord, we just ask your blessing upon this time. We pray, Lord, that your word would go forth and have its intended purpose, Lord, and that you would be glorified through it all, Lord. Your will be done, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good to, good to be gathered together this morning, and uh, good to have our Bibles in our hands, amen, as we say on a weekly basis. Can you imagine uh, a place where men would just get up and speak their own thoughts? And brother, there's lots of them. There, there's lots of those places that exist, and um, I'm so thankful, again, we have God's holy, inspired, preserved word to, uh, to, to speak to us, if you will. Remember, we always say that if we want to hear from God, we read the Old and New Testament. Those are the two lips of God, and so this is where we hear from God, and as Howard said, this indeed, we've been kind of, if you will, deep down into 
God's inspired history, amen. We, we know that every word that we're reading, every word that is in Scripture to begin with, is indeed there for a reason and for a purpose. And so um, this morning, it is no different. We're looking here at, a, at Paul. We, we remember last week when we were gathered together that Paul, they're in the midst of a Euroclide and a storm that indeed God has, as we looked at, was sovereignly in control of and taking Paul exactly, precisely to Rome where he promised that he would. And we really see those details come out here in our text again this morning. We find woven throughout the pages of sacred scripture a multitude of paradoxes that belong solely to the gift of faith that is given to us by God. You say, well, what is a paradox? Well, a paradox contains two opposite realities that are both true at the same time, and they're designed by God to contrast the earthly view and the heavenly view. And you, many of you are familiar with many of them that we find in Scripture. In fact, some of them here you can probably quote and let me just give you a couple of them. For instance, the Lord Jesus said, He that findeth his life shall lose it. See, there's a paradox, finding and losing. There again, this is something that is directly tied to saving faith that the Lord God gives to each of us. He that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. So again, we, we see these in Scripture. The Apostle Paul wrote these words, As unknown and yet well-known, as dying, and behold, we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich. Again, we see this paradox in Scripture, amen, that, we, that the Lord certainly has giving. He says, as having nothing and possessing all things. And again, we see these paradoxes throughout Scripture. Paul also wrote this, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he, the Lord, he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for see for my strength, amen, uh, my strength, he says, is made perfect in weakness. So again, you see this, this paradox that is taking place. Most gladly, Paul says, therefore will I gather rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am Strong. And again, brethren, we see these glorious paradoxes that we see. In fact, Paul also said, what, for, what, what things were gained to me, I counted lost for Christ. So again, we see this over and over again in Scripture. So true saving faith, brethren, contains within it the element of total loss, the element of total abandonment of anything and everything uh, and that this world would have that we would hope or trust in, in this earthly domain, while at the same time gaining and obtaining, if you will, acquiring by the grace of God alone, salvation through Christ alone. And so again, this is a glorious thing that we're going to see in our text this morning, this paradox of losing and gaining. And again, it's an important concept. It's a, an important thing that we as Bible believers must again understand. You see there, if you will, in our text, in verse number 30 this morning, Acts 27. Look at verse number 30, as we always do. We're just going to kind of work down through, and we're going to see this biblical, if you will, this biblical paradox that takes place in our text. Now, keeping in mind, brethren, again, this is a shipwreck. This is a literal shipwreck. I'm sure many of you probably 
maybe don't know the name, but years ago there was a man by the name of Harold Camping. I don't know if you remember or heard about him or not, but I used to listen to him a lot because he was a good, sound Bible teacher until he went off the rails. Amen. People sometimes have a tendency to, to zoom off the rail. He was a good, reformed Bible teacher. And by the time he was finished, he took this text, Paul's shipwreck, and said it was a picture of the churches crumbling and that we are supposed to flee the ships and leave the local fellowships. And brother, that could be no, no further from the truth than you can even imagine. This is a literal shipwreck, but there are some things, brother, that we can glean some biblical truths from it. And we're certainly going to see that. God intended for us to see this and to learn these things from Scripture. So look there, if you would, verse number 30. The Bible says, And it was, and as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship, when they had let down the boat into the sea, under the color as though they were, uh, would have cast anchors out of the foreship. Now again, brother, in verse 30 here, again, we must remember that the sailors find themselves in the midst of this storm, in the midst of this hurricane. Literally, that's the word. That's literally the word Euroclidon. That's what that means. They find themselves in the midst of this hurricane because they did not believe the Lord through what Paul had told them early on. You remember this, brethren, for sure. And even now, after 14 days and nights, and we see that in our text, in our scripture, after 14 days and nights, again, it is revealed to us here, brethren, that they still don't believe the word of the Lord. And again, this is so important. They panic here, is what they do, these shipmen. And it's important to keep in mind, it's the shipmen that panic. And it's also to remember to keep in mind in our text, we're going to see this, that it wasn't the shipmen who cut the ropes. It was actually the, the, uh, the soldiers that did it. But the shipmen here are panicked. They completely panic. They try to leave the ship, hoping to save, listen, brethren, their own lives by their own hands, by their own means. And you must be very careful, brother. Again, this is a principle, a truth that's going to come out in our text, that religion is deadly, those sorts of things. When you're trying to save yourself by doing good works and getting outside of the will of God concerning salvation, this is what happens. They are indeed looking at the circumstances. They're saying, we've got to take our own lives by our own hands and save ourselves. Amen. And this really is what you see, one of the principles that we see here. Luke tells us here that under the color, that's a phrase that means to put something forward for appearance in order to cloak or conceal what really lies behind it. In other words, they are giving them a false pretense. You ever been around someone who will give you a false pretense? They're actually saying something, putting forth an appearance, really hiding or cloaking what's really behind what they're saying. It's a stunning thing when you think about that. In fact, this word is always used always used in the New Testament in a negative, bad sense. Every single time. This idea of cloaking, this idea of false pretense. And this is what they've done. Hey, we're just going to go down here. We're going to let the anchors down, okay, down here in the front bow. But in all reality, they were trying to do it. They were going to get on this alleged lifeboat of theirs and escape the ship. I want you to see this. Look what Jesus, as he addressed the religious people, look at Matthew chapter 23. I want you to see this again. This word, again, is only used, every time it's used, it's used in a negative sense in the New Testament. Look at Matthew chapter 23. And again, the Lord here, as we know, was the harshest, not on the sinners, not on those who were lost, but those who pretended, if you will, to be saved, those who pretended to be the religious leaders of the day. Those are who he dealt with the harshest. And we see that here. Again, this word that's used, Matthew chapter 23. Look there, if you would, 
at verse number 14. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You know that word hypocrite? You know what that word literally means? An actor on a stage. Jesus is confronting the religious people and saying, You're nothing but an actor on a stage. You hypocrites. Look what it says. For ye devour widows' houses, and for a pretense... That's the idea, a false pretense. Jesus is revealing what they're doing here. They're trying to cloak their sin behind these long, holy prayers. In other words, they're standing up publicly, acting like they're really concerned and really praying for the brethren. But in reality, Jesus exposes them here. He says, for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore, ye shall receive the greater damnation. And again, brethren, the idea here is an actor on a stage, a pretense, putting on a show with long prayers. That's all it is. He uses it again, if you will, in John chapter 15. Look, there are just a couple of them here so you understand the definition, biblical definition of what John uh, or what Luke is saying here. Look at John chapter 15. And again, the Lord Jesus, speaking not to sinners, but to the religious of his day. Those who were allegedly leading the people of Israel, those who were allegedly to be the, the shepherds over God's people, and he just exposes them right and left. Look here, John chapter 15. Look at verse number 20. Look there what the Bible says. Remember the word that I said unto you. The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they had persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. Look at what it says. Verse 22, If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin, but now they have no cloak for their sin. Again, this is the idea. There's a false pretense. There's a cloaking of what the real reality and the real truth is. And this is what Luke is recording and telling us. These, these, uh, these shipmen simply just lied. They said, hey, we're going to run down, like you said here. We're going we're to just put the anchors down here. But in reality, they're cloaking the truth and what they were really doing. The shipmen under the cover of darkness pretended like I said, that they were going down to lower the, you know, the anchors from the ship's bow. But in truth, they lowered a lifeboat, hoping to escape. And again, brother, this is the idea, again, hoping to escape what they perceived as their death boat. Amen? We've got to keep that in mind. Again, men's thoughts, men's ways are not God's thoughts, nor are they God's ways. And again, we're going to learn the importance of the Bible-believing Christian reading Holy Writ and then staying within the bounds of Scripture. Staying within the bounds of the words of God. And this, again, is what we, a great lesson, if you will, a practical lesson for all of us as we look at our text. Now look back there, Acts 27. Look at verses 31 and 32. So again, this false pretense under the color. They simply were uh, hiding, trying to cloak what they were actually doing. And again, look what the Bible says here. Luke, under the inspiration, records in verses 31 and 32. Look what it says. And Paul said unto the centurion and to the soldiers, Except these men abide in the ship, ye cannot be what? Saved. Then the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat and let her fall. Now, brethren, again, we, we think of the paradoxes that, we, that I quoted earlier. So what you have here is a losing of a lifeboat. <laughs> Literally, they cut the ropes, if you will. They let it drift off, amen. That which these men were trying to get into to save their own lives, they literally cut the ropes. They let the lifeboat go. It's an amazing thing. They lose this man-made lifeboat. 
but they gain the saving of every man's life by the providential hand of God. Again, we have a losing and a gaining. It's a stunning thing when you consider. In fact, to the human mind, it's very, very unsettling. To the human mind, it makes no sense whatsoever. But in God's economy, all of this, as he brings it to pass, he brings perfectly according to his sovereign will, according to his, if you will, peradventure in the life of Paul, in the life of those, if you will. Paul said, except these men abide in the ship, they cannot be saved, thereby now causing the sailors to believe wholly what God said. You remember Paul. I want you to look there in verse 25. Again, this is the faith of a faithful, good, godly man. So a man who is filled with the Holy Spirit of God, who knows what God has saved him from, amen, and what God is saving him to do to preach the gospel in Rome. Remember, that promise was made a long time ago. Paul, you're going to go to Rome, you're going to preach the gospel there, and all of his trials, all of his imprisonments, all of this stuff, God is using to build him, to get him right to where we're going to end up today, Lord willing, off the shore of Italy. It's a stunning thing. But look there, look what he said. Again, this idea here, verse number 25. Look what Paul says. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God. It shall be exactly as he has told me it will be. Again, this believing, this trusting in what God is doing. The shipmen look, the lifeboat's been cut. This thing is sinking. What in the world is going on here? What's happening? And again, Paul just simply says, I believe God. And brethren, as a Christian, as those of us who are saved, I said this last week, it is so imperative that we keep our eyes on Scripture, that we read Scripture and we understand what it says. Listen, Brother Dean talked about a little bit of some practical stuff this morning in Bible study, right? I mean, when it comes to your children's education, the Bible is clear. The father and the mother have been given the, the, uh, the, if you will, the priority of training up their children and then in the admonition of the Lord. This is not something we question. We don't go, well, I wonder what God wants me to do with my children. He wants you to raise them up. And it is your responsibility. There is no question, even though the world can't understand it. They look at us, we homes, they look at the homeschoolers like we're a bunch of crazy people. No, actually, I think you're crazy sending your kids into these, some of these cesspools that, that they now have become. It's an amazing thing. No, it's what God says. We are obedient to God. It's like many who think the Lord's Day is an option. That the Lord's Day today, when we're gathered together, it's an option. If I don't feel right, if I feel like going, if I don't want to go, we're not going to go. Brethren, it's not an option. It is not. Wednesday night is. I had a brother one time say, well, what if I don't come on Wednesday night? I think you should. I think it's good for us to pray together and be together, be gathered together, amen, on Wednesday night. But again, I can't say to you, thus saith the Lord. Sunday morning's the Lord day. I can say to you, thus saith the Lord. We are to gather. We are to hear the word preached. Not very good sometimes, but we are to hear and listen to the word. We're to pray for one another. We're to do all of those graces in Acts chapter 2. Again, if we're going to be like they are here in the book of Acts, then we must what? Go to scripture and say, I'm going to be just like that church or as close as we can be, which includes gathering together, teaching your children, teaching one another, edifying one another. See, if you're not in the fellowship, you can't do the 37 one another's. You realize that, right? You were to love one another, we're to pray for one another, we're to encourage one another, we're to bear one another's burdens. You can't do that if you're not gathering with the saints, brother. 
It's very difficult to do just the one another's. But again, the biblical truth, the biblical principle is this here. A losing is indeed a gaining. And it is a losing of worldly things to gain the godly things. The holy, pure, and righteous good things. And this is what we see. Again, a letting go. A letting go of everything you think, amen, is going to help you in this life. A letting go of those things. Because, brethren, religiosity, religion kills, we know this. Not biblical religion. James talks about a biblical religion. I'm talking about this kind of religion that Jesus is addressing here that these men are cloaking. They are absolute hypocrites, absolute uh, liars, if you will. And again, you see that. He believed what God said. In fact, if you look here, it gets even more, if you will, the situation gets even more exasperated, if you will. Because if you read carefully at verse 43 there, look there. Remember now, the lifeboat's been cut. That which they thought was going to save them is now no use to them. In fact, it gets heightened because if you read here in verse 43, look what the Bible says there. And the centurion willing to save Paul kept them from their purpose and commanded that they which should, that which could swim should cast themselves first into the sea and get to land. So in other words, there were some people on the ship who could swim. You know what other kind of people were on the ship? Those who couldn't swim. In fact, look at God's provision. He says, you who can swim, get in the water. Look what it says in verse 44. And the rest, some on boards and some on uh, broken pieces of the ship. And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. So again, we're cutting the lifeboat because I can't swim. And God just says, it's gone. Everything you're trusting in, everything you're clinging to, everything you're hoping for, brethren, God many times will take that away from you. So that you trust completely and totally and without any reservation, you will believe what God said. Amen? What a glorious thing to glean from this text. It is indeed an application, something we can learn from these things for sure. Some of them could swim and some of them couldn't. And when the lifeboat was cut, which was really a death boat, as I said, because they were disobeying God, stay with the ship or you're you're not going to be saved. So he cuts that out and leaves them there. It's a stunning thing. So instead of God saving them with a lifeboat, he chose, and this is my little pee on brain, he chose to providentially save them with life boards. He took away that which they had placed all their hope in, which would have brought them death, and provided for them that which saved their lives. And again, brethren, this is one of the glorious lessons that we can glean from this shipwreck. Now look there at verse 33. Look as, uh, as Luke continues under the inspiration of God. We'll read 33 through 38. We'll kind of take it as a, as a chunk, if you will. Verse 33. And while the day was coming on, Paul besought them all to take meat, saying, This day is the fourteenth day that ye have tarried and continued fasting, and have taken nothing. So in other words, for fourteen days, as the, as the storm has raged, they've eaten nothing. Not one thing. Verse 34. Wherefore I pray you to take some meat, for this is uh, for your health, for there shall not an hair fall from the head of any of you. Again, going back to verse 25, I believe God. Not a hair will fall from any of you. We're going to see what that phrase means. It's stunning. And when he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And we had broken it, he began to eat. Verse 36, and then were they all of good cheer, and they also took some meat. 
And we were all in the ship, 203 score and 16 souls, 276 souls on board. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and cast out the weed into the sea. So even after eating, they're still casting away these things that they were leaning on and trusting in, their very substance, their very food. It's out you go, toss that thing out of the boat. It's amazing here when you consider this, that in verse 34, God aff- or, or Luke affirms God's sovereignty, that not even one hair of your head will fall. I want you to consider this, brother, and I should have looked this up. I was thinking about it. Now, some of us have a little more hair than others. Amen. We could count the number of hair. But you have to remember, this is the intricacy of God's sovereignty and his promise. Not even one hair is going to fall from your head. And it won't, and it doesn't, except at his command. It is a stunning thing when you consider this. Now, it literally means no hurt or injury, even in the minutest or slightest way. Not in the minutest way is it go- are you going to be injured in this. It's a stunning thing. This phrase is used several times in the Old Testament. Several times. But our religious affections this morning, of course, are drawn, again, to our Lord Jesus Christ's use of it. And I want you to see this again. As a child of God, this should give us great comfort. You, you realize, brethren, that every breath you take has been ordained by God. You understand that. I'm breathing next time because God ordained me to breathe next time. Amen? Every breath. Think, think, of, think of how helpless we are, brethren, in our reality. We can't even breathe without him. He provided the oxygen. He provides the trees, this glorious creation that he, that's 6,000 years old. It's a stunning thing to behold. All of it, all provided by God himself. And you and I couldn't provide any of it for ourselves. We breathe the air and don't even think of what your lungs do, what your brain does, all of these things, the intricacies of it all. But we see here again the intricacies of God's sovereignty within watching over his children. Your hair, none of your hair will fall apart from his command. None of it will. You will live and take your last breath for the day that he ordained you to do it. Amen? Again, we just think of how helpless we really are. And yet, it is a glorious confidence that this scripture gives to us, that Jesus gives to us, that the Lord God gives to us, knowing that everything that comes to pass is again, as we say often, if you will, filtered through his loving hands. Nothing, nothing comes your way but by him. It is amazing, isn't it, to consider that and understand again the intricacies of the love that he has for his people. Just how really amazing, it's an amazing thing, what it really means to us. Look at here, Jesus. Listen to, look at Luke chapter 21. Listen here again. This term, again, I said, is used uh, several times in the Old Testament. The Lord Jesus himself uses it here in Luke chapter 21. And again, I want you to see the intimacy of the conversation. I want you to see the great care. Again, people sometimes think God is out there somewhere. He's, He's from a distance. He's not. He is very much near. He's very much watching over you. He's very much taking care of you. Every scintilla of the second of the day. Look at here what he says. Look what Jesus says to his disciples. Again, this is the intimacy of this. He's talking to his 
disciples. He's talking to the inner circle. He's talking to those who are closest to him. And listen to what he says here in verse number 12. Luke 21, look at verse number 12. But before all these, and of course, if you go further up in the text, it's talking about false Christ coming. It's talking about, uh, if you will, wars and rumors of wars and all these things. Amen. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. So he's talking about all of this distressing stuff is taking place. But just remember this. He says, but before all these, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and to prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. And it shall turn out for a testimony. Again, God's using these things that we would perceive as men as a bad thing. And he says, nope, actually, I'm going to use those to get you to give your testimony before kings like Paul. Amen. I mean, all the persecutions, all the things that he's gone through, God used it to get the gospel into the palace itself. So you see here, It'll turn, it shall turn to you for a testimony. Settle it, therefore, in your hearts, not to meditate before what you shall answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay or resist. Listen to what he says. And ye shall be betrayed both by parents and brethren and kinfolks and friends. And some of you shall uh, they cause to be put to death. And they shall be hated of all men. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But listen, brethren, look at verse 18. All of this is going to be taking place. And then Jesus affirms his sovereignty over every scintilla of their life. Look what he says. But there shall not an hair of your head perish. Not a one. Think of this, brother. Again, if I could count my hairs, I probably have 20 or 30 up the left up there right now. But none of them will ever be moved apart from God's loving caring, sovereign hand over the life of his children. It is a glorious thing. And this is what Paul is telling these, he's telling these pagans. Hey, listen, uh, if we obey God, I believe what God said, uh, we'll stay with the ship. And then what will happen is there won't be any, any damage, any hurt at all because of his glorious, saving, sovereign promise. It is, again, brethren, an encouragement to the brothers, to the sisters, to our children as they listen, as they watch you, as they're looking at you as parents, my children, watching them, our second set now, what a glorious thing. Watching them, they're watching you. How do you react when something comes and you just say, well, praise God. God is working this out in my life, and your children have to see that. They have to know that you, mom and dad, are trusting in the God of this Bible, the Holy Scriptures, the God of Scripture alone. Your grandchildren, too, must see it. They must see, brethren, especially, especially in the world we live in. The America that is today is a stunning cesspool. It's an amazing thing. And your children, as I warn over and over again, your children, if you're not raising them up in the admonition of the Lord, if you're not teaching them the ways of God, oh, brethren, Dean had some statistics this morning, and not statistics are important because they tell us some things, amen? Salvation is of the Lord, but at the same time, we know what the Scripture teaches us concerning these valuable, most incalculable things that we must be living out. And this is what Paul, this is what's happening in Paul's life. He then instructs them to eat. They haven't eaten in 14 days, the Bible says there. 
Uh, he took some bread and gave thanks to the one true God in the presence of them all. And again, brethren, that's a testimony. This is Paul standing amongst many pagans, and he just simply bows his head. He simply honors God. He gives thanks unto the God of Scripture alone in front of these pagans. All of this stuff swirling around, and what does it go back to? I believe God. That's what it goes back to. I believe God. I believe what he said. I believe he will indeed bring it to pass. It is a stunning thing. These circumstances were extraordinary. But Paul, as a true child of God, could not help himself, brother. Even as Jonah could not help himself. You remember Jonah. Remember, we, I preached through the book of Jonah. It's way deeper than a man getting swallowed by a fish. It's just a stunning thing. That's part of it. But I want you to see what Jonah does. When he gets to his end, when he gets to his end, all he can do is turn to God and give him thanks. I want you to turn there. Turn with me to Jonah, if you would, the book of Jonah for just a moment. And I want you to see this together with me this morning. Jonah chapter 2. And you have to remember... That Jonah's prayer is filled with scripture. I don't know if many know this, but in chapter 1, he quotes Psalm 18. In chapter 2, he, well, he combines Psalms 18. In verse number 3, he quotes Psalms 42. In verse number 4, he quotes Psalms 31. In verse number 5, he quotes Psalms 69. Just again, in his prayer, he's turning to the scriptures to again reaffirm who God is to him. Not his imagination, not the God of my own making, not the God of my own imagination, but the God of scripture, Psalms. What does it say? Who God is. And not only that, he realizes from Scripture who God is. Those promises are, are made in going out to him, giving him great confidence because, again, we find Jonah very much in the same place. Look at verse number 1. The Bible says, Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God, and out of the fish's belly, and I said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me, out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. Again, he's praying scripture, he's quoting Psalms, uh, if you will, 18 there. It's an amazing thing, and he does that all the way down. Get down now to verse number 7. Look what it says there. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple, God's heavenly dwelling place, as we know. Verse number 8, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. And again, here's Jonah, a child of God, in the midst of his own turmoil, which he brought upon himself. And yet all he can do is go to scripture, and then he can just, all he, he can't help, it's like Paul. The child of God could not help but sing forth the fruits of your lips of thanksgiving unto God to whom we owe all. Everything. Everything. Our life, breath, as I said before. It's an amazing thing. Now look what he says as he finishes. I will pay that which I have vowed, for salvation is of the Lord. And again, the saving here, Paul is in our text understands that the saving is of God alone. Period. And what God has instructed us to do, even though in our eyes we look out and see it looks like a turbulent, bad thing going on, but in the economy of God, it is putting one precisely where God wants you and I and Paul and the shipment to be. Amen? It is a glorious thing. In fact, I like what Spurgeon said concerning Paul praying for, I believe, 
the food, but more than that. But Spurgeon said this, he would not eat without giving thanks to God. There are some who do, even as the swine do. But the Christian finds it good at all times, all circumstances, all situations. It is good for us to bow our heads and to thank God for what he's doing. Because most of the time, brethren, we don't know what he's doing. We see it from our perspective. He sees it from, again, an eternal heavenly perspective. And that's really what we have to get a hold of. We have to, and again, is it easy? No. Is this Paul's shipwreck easy? His other three weren't easy. This is his fourth shipwreck. And yet here he is again, trusting in God concerning what God is doing. And we too, brethren, must, as Bible-believing Christians, do the same. Again, sometimes easier said than done, but the Holy Spirit of God gives you the power, the strength to do those sorts of things. Now look at here. Look back at Acts chapter 27. Look at verse number 39. And again, brethren, as we have seen the Lord working in Paul's life through all of this to get him to Rome, because that's ultimately in the end, that's what this is all about, his promise, keeping his word, that Paul would indeed preach in Rome. Look there, if you would, at verse number 39. And when it was day, they knew not the land. But they discovered a certain creek with a shore into which they were minded, if it were possible, to thrust in the ship. And when they had taken up the anchors, they committed themselves onto the sea and loosed the rudder bands and hoisted up the mainsail to the wind and made toward shore. Verse 41. And falling into a place where two seas meet, they ran the ship aground, and the forepart stuck fast and, uh, and remained unmovable. But the hinder part was broken with the violence of the waves." Brethren, again, Luke tells us when daylight comes. And you remember last week when we were together, they had sounded. Remember we talked about how the, the, many uh, historians have written, they've read this text, and they've used it concerning the intricacies of, of even sounding and doing those things. I mean, this stuff is so amazing in our text. But they had sounded, and they're getting closer and closer, and they dropped the anchors down thinking they were going to run into the rocks. And lo and behold, daylight comes. And it's a stunning thing when you consider that they saw a land that they did not know where they were. <laughs> now, again, brethren, Mike, as a Reformed pastor, does not read things into the Scripture. We let it speak it out. But I'm telling you right now, when did they lose control of this ship? Those who have been here. How many days ago? Fourteen days ago. They had no control over it was, where it was going. None. At all. And the day, whoa, they, the daylight comes and what do they see? They see a land. They don't have any idea where they're at. It's a stunning thing. All they're going to do is, we're going to ram this thing in there. There's land. We haven't seen land in 14 days and nights. We're going to ram that in there, even though we don't know what it is or where we're at. Stunningly, again, brethren, the intricacies of God watching over his people. That ship could have went anywhere, but at God's command, here they are showing up at this place. They don't even know who, where it is. They were 475 nautical miles from Fair Havens where they started. They've been drifting for 14 days in a, in a hurricane 475 miles away from where they started. And they see this land. They have no control and had no control where this ship was going. Thankfully, Luke, if you look at verse number 1 of chapter 28, Luke reveals... 
which harbor they're at. Look at verse 28, or number 1 of chapter 28. And when they were escaped, then they knew that uh, the island was called Melita, or Malta. It's actually today, if you go and look it up, they call it St. Paul's Bay. Actually, it's there. That's the name of it because of this very thing. What took place here in the book of Acts is, is still in history. It's still named St. Paul's Bay, St. Paul's Harbor, because of this intricate story or narrative in the book of Acts. Now, again, we see the intricacies here. They have been completely out of control. And by God's guiding, directing, providential, loving, caring hand for his preacher. He's delivering his preacher and the gospel to Rome exactly like he said he would. That's the glorious thing. Through all the storms, through all these things that have taken place, ultimately in the end, God is moving Paul, bringing his preacher. Brethren, and we are thankful this morning. Again, we think, well, what does this have to do with us? What it has to do with us, brethren, Paul lands in Italy, in Rome, and the gospel goes forth. And you know where it ended up? It ended up right here where we live. All across. This is not something that just happened in, in one snapshot in time. This is something that we are today reaping and thanking God for the benefits of what he did here. That someone would preach the gospel to you. That God would open your eyes and your heart to believe. Unstop your ears to hear that you would be saved. It's all because of what he did here. All of it. It's a stunning thing to consider we read scripture and we back away from that like it's some kind of a narrative that has nothing to do with it. It has everything to do with us. It is as relevant today as it was then. Even more as we see the world, what appears to be crumbling around us. And the only hope, the only hope men have is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, period. Stunningly, I was telling one of the brothers, <clears throat> I don't want to be too graphic here, I was watching James White this last week. I don't know, Brother Dean, if you saw that one or not, that episode. I'm trying to be very delicate. We have fallen. Men have become so depraved. Just when you think in America that men's depravity couldn't get any worse. Last week, the story comes out of a man who is fantasizing about uh, having a doctor put a womb in his stomach so that he can have a baby and terminate it. Think of how evil that is for men's mind to think that way. The culture of death, which is exactly what our founding fathers were afraid of. <laughs> you know those wise men whom God used? Daniel Webster, remember what he said? I am concerned. I'm going to paraphrase it because I didn't write it down. He says, I'm very concerned that the Lord Jesus Christ, if he has not preached the length, the breadth, the depth, the width of our nation debauchery and unholiness will reign unmitigated. And this is what we have. Now you have men in their depraved mind fantasizing about this weird killing of children and just sick beyond measure. There's only one hope, one help for that kind of sickness, that kind of depravity, that kind of unholiness. And that is the holiness of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving him more monies not going to help him. Giving him a nicer home, that's not going to help him. We see what happens when we, when we do that nonsense. It is indeed what we're reading here, the benefits, you and I this morning, thanking God. Amen? Think of how Paul started, remember, way back in Acts chapter 9, 
What was he doing? He was on his way to kill Christians. He was on his way to kill any Christian that he could find and put them in prison, put the families in jail, whatever he could do. And the Lord intervened in him going that way and intervened in his life and completely changed and stopped what he was doing and changed him into what we're seeing here. It's a stunning thing. Again, brother, that's why you never stop preaching the gospel. You don't know who the elect are, neither do I. Therefore, we preach to every creature. Because that guy that looks like this man, who knows what God might do? And as one brother said to me this morning, and such were some of us. Such, brethren, were some of us. That's what Paul, uh, Paul wrote to the Corinthians church. You were a thief, you were a sodomite, you were a philanderer, you were all of these things, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified by the gospel of Christ. This is America's hope. This is the only hope we have. It isn't Joe Biden trying to find out where he can get more billions to give away to somebody. It's about the Lord God converting men's souls. The only thing that will help Joe Biden and the rest of that clown show is the salvation of their souls. God converting them to, to make them just like Christ. And this is what we see, the importance of what we're reading. It isn't just a, a story, some kind of a narrative in history. It is indeed an ongoing lively thing that we see. We indeed are reaching and, and certainly feeling the benefits of Paul landing in Rome or Paul landing here in, in Melita, Malta, which they had no idea. Amazing, isn't it, brethren, when you consider it? Look here as we finish. Let us close. Look at verses 42 through 44. The Bible says, And the soldiers' counsel was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim out and escape. But the centurion, willing to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that they which could swim should cast themselves first into the sea and get to land. And the rest, some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship. And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. Not one hair fell from their heads. Not one. Not one. They all remained and, and got to land even though they couldn't swim. And God provided a broken ship boards for them to, swim, to, to get to land. Those who swim swam there. It's an amazing thing. But again, we see God's pride, if you will, kind providence to Paul and to the prisoners. Because you notice the soldiers who had earlier cut the ropes off the lifeboat now wanted to kill the prisoners. <laughs> again, it's a stunning thing. They understood, get rid of that thing. Now they're trying, as, as we've seen, again, this is now the second time, brethren, that Paul has been protected by God's instrument known as a pagan centurion, a, 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 a soldier, a Roman soldier, and God protects him again. We're going to kill all the prisoners. Uh, no, we're not. Um, God's going to use his divine instrument to prevent that from happening, even up to the very end of this shipwreck, even up until they get on land. God is there, if you will, working out these things. Remember a couple weeks ago or last week, there was a word we had in our text back here in chapter 27, the word but. This is another but, B-U-T, but God. The soldiers had one thing in mind because that's what they were to do. They didn't kill the prisoners. They themselves were killed. But God, B-U-T, God. 
himself here, if you will, uses, as I said, this pagan centurion to save Paul and literally kept them from their purpose. Hey, if you want a purpose, don't read Rick Warren's book. Read the Bible. That'll give you a purpose. He kept them here from their purpose. It's an amazing thing when you consider it, that the purpose of God would stand. And again, God ruling in heaven, God ruling on the earth, his purposes stand, even when the Roman soldiers want to kill all the prisoners. Let me close this morning, brother, and let us bring this to a close. As we opened with the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, he said this, He that findeth his life shall lose it. He that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. True saving faith contains within it, brethren, if you will, the element of total loss, the element of total abandonment. This literally is what one sees. And again, you think of your own conversion. You think if you're converted here today, if God has saved you today, you think of how glorious it was when he did that for you. When he took away those things that you were trusting in, and when he opened your eyes to see him and trust him alone, think of how glorious that is. You've given up. You've lost all of that, but you've gained eternal life in Christ, which, again, as I'm getting older, almost 60 now, that end is getting closer and closer. This world, the things of the world, are becoming more and more of a shadow. Right, brethren? Those of us who are a little older, we can relate to that. We can relate what it means to begin to let go of these things that we thought were so important, and they really are not. They're gifts from God to sustain us, but we must not trust them. We must not lean on them. We must not totally and wholly be enveloped by them. They're gifts of God, but we lose those earthly things to gain the eternal things. This is what God does. This is what God did here in this shipwreck, and it's an amazing thing. We're going to see, Lord willing, next week in chapter 28, again, the glorious working of God as God again saves Paul from a snake bite. God again. I mean, it's just a stunning thing to see. True saving faith indeed contains within it the element of total loss, the total abandonment of anything and everything that one would hope or trust in in this earthly domain, while at the same time, gaining, obtaining, acquiring by the grace of God alone, salvation through Christ alone. What an amazing paradox, isn't it? You lose and you gain. Again, just a glorious biblical truth that we as Christians must grab a hold of. You know, part of that, of course, is we think of right repentance. I mean, that is a repentance and turning away, but there is this paradox of losing and gaining. It is a truly stunning biblical truth and reality that brethren the world has no idea about. They can't comprehend it. They don't know what it is to come and gather together on a Sunday morning with the brethren when I could be at home mowing my lawn. Right, kids? We talked about it this morning. Examples everywhere of the importance of being and coming together with the family of God. And how, like last week, do we golf last week? We like to golf a little bit. And I said, look, we still gathered with the saints. We still put God first. We worshiped him first. And we still got to do what the world, some of the world does. Some of the things that you enjoy to do. Amen? The Lord, the Lord's day, 
must come first. It is a priority in the life of the believer. Amen? There is no question about that. Go to the Bible. It isn't just Pastor Mike saying it. Go to Scripture. You'll see how important it really is that we gather together. We gather around the Lord's table, as Lord willing, we're going to do here in just a moment. That our families might be edified together, that we might be taught the Word of God together, and then just not here when you go home, right? We have our stuff at home. Sunday mornings, I'm not saying this is all we need. This is not all we need. We need our families to sit together, to read Scripture together last night, reading our text, talking about our text, preparing them for the text. This is what one must do. Turn your children and yourself to the word of God. Amen. As Paul prayed and as we close, he commended the elders at Ephesus. What did he say? I commend you to God and to his word. And that's what we must do. Amen. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we again rejoice in the word of God. We thank you for the intricacies of it. We thank you for what we have seen here today. That again, Lord, there is indeed a stripping away, losing of earthly things when you save a man or a woman or a child. 